Hi, I'm Richard Niles, and I'm here with another edition of Ideas Make You Better. Now, the ideas we're going to be talking about are from this wonderful book here, Adventures in Arranging. I know the book is over on my left as well, but I'm holding it up because I wanted to show you even more of this wonderful cover by my friend Stu Balcom. Today, we're going to be talking about voicings. Everybody asks me, what kind of voicing should I use, Rich? What are they? What, what are the possibilities? How do I know what to use? Well, of course, remember this. All harmony comes from melody. You know, those Gregorian chant guys? Like remember that harmony comes from melody. And melody is horizontal lines. So that's a good way to think about it when you're writing harmonies. But it does help us to think up and down sometimes. So I'm going to show you all the possibilities, and I'm going to show you examples from this book. So it's like a free chapter. So let's get into it, and here we go. Adventures in Arranging. Groups of brass or strings or woodwinds or voices or any other instruments playing as a section will either have a melodic function or a harmonic function. Harmonic function voicings will either be pads meaning sustained voicings, rhythmic, a repeated rhythmic figure, or stabs, hits, usually voiced with percussion or other rhythmic instruments. Octaves and octave unison. This will always work with melodic material, provided you write in a good register for the instruments and for the style of music. For instance, a gentle romantic melody will not sound very gentle or romantic if in the register above G4 for the trumpets. Two parts solely. The word solely refers to two or more instruments playing a written line in harmony. It's kind of the plural of solo, get it? Two-part writing is very common in jazz groups with two horns, such as a trumpet and a tenor sax. Miles Davis's quintet with John Coltrane, the Horace Silver quintet with Michael and Randy Brecker. The two instruments will always sound good in thirds and sixths, and fourths will sound terrific, or bangin', if you are in funky, bluesy, jazz-bow territory. The following example is one of my compositions, Pure Vanilla. Note that I am not mechanically just writing the tenor sax line a third or a sixth below. In fact, I am thinking of it more as an additional or alternative melody. Sometimes mechanical writing is all that's needed, and it will sound good. But the question I am always asking myself is, is good good enough? I rarely think so. Ideally, each line the musicians play should have its own creative raison d'être. So, I'm writing what sounds good, be it thirds, sixths, fourths, or unisons. Any note in the chord scale can be used for harmonies, not just chord tones. For instance, 9 of E minor 9th is used in bar 8. Here's the example. Guide tone lines. Another thing often done in two-part writing is that the two voices can have independent lines. They can answer each other. 
One can play the melody and the other can play a counterpoint. This can take the form of guide tone lines. Guide tones are notes that clearly guide the ear through the harmony. Usually these notes are the important notes that define the chord type, the third and the seventh. Three, because it tells the listener if the chord is major or minor. Seven, because it tells the listener if the chord is major or minor seventh. You can hear guide tones used in the Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker groups and in the work of the Paul Desmond groups with Jim Hall, where guitarist Hall was the other lead voice. Here's a typical guide tone line in the tenor sax with a bebop line in the flute. Guide tone lines. Another thing often done in two-part writing is that the two voices can have independent lines. They can answer each other. One can play the melody and the other can play a counterpoint. This can take the form of guide tone lines. Guide tones are notes that clearly guide the ear through the harmony. Usually these notes are the important notes that define the chord type, the third and the seventh. Three, because it tells the listener if the chord is major or minor. Seven, because it tells the listener if the chord is major or minor seventh. You can hear guide tones used in the Jerry Mulligan and Chet Baker groups and in the work of the Paul Desmond groups with Jim Hall, where guitarist Hall was the other lead voice. Here's a typical guide tone line in the tenor sax with a bebop line in the flute. This would work as a straight eighth note Latin groove or a swing bop tune. Note the sax moving down chromatically from flat seven to three and so on. Also note, I marked the flute at mezzo forte and the tenor at mezzo piano because the flute is the lead and the tenor is the accompaniment and tenor sax is usually louder than flute. Also, I admit I deviated from a straight guide tone line to have the tenor play an ascending chromatic line into the final note. You see what fun you can have with this stuff? Now here's a slightly wilder and crazier example from one of my tunes. There's a lot going on here. These are still guide tones, but not necessarily three or seven. This shows how any important notes can act as guide tones. Tensions are important notes too, because they attract attention and guide the ear. Here I'm using 9, 11, and 13, commonly thought of as extensions or tensions of the basic chord sound. In fact, the trombone part is made up as different versions of 9 and 13. It's unusual to use natural 9 and sharp or flat 9 together in this way and actually make a melodic line out of it. The flute part is also a guide tone line made up of 9ths and 13ths. That's what I was thinking about when I composed this section of Only You for my album Club Deranged. Plug, plug. Three-part writing. One voicing principle would be to always ensure that the voicing is delivering the sound of the appropriate chord. One way to do that is to include the two most important notes in the voicing, three and seven. 
I find three-part writing fun because, unlike techniques for four or more instruments, you have to think a little harder for your best options. You can simply mechanically voice the two harmony notes according to the logical chord tones. Here's a chart that would be useful. So here's what happens when I add a trombone and arrange pure vanilla with three parts. There are many points of interest here for the creative musician. In the first voicing, there is a nice major seventh between the E and the D sharp, with the B, flat seven, nestled under the D sharp. In this one voicing, we have the consonance of the major third and the dissonance of the major seventh. This is why the voicing is effective and has an attractive richness. The second note is a simple E triad, but what makes it interesting is that the notes are also flat 7, flat 3, and 5 of C-sharp minor. The blandness of this voicing moves to the richness of the next. From the top down, we have flat 7, flat 3, and 9. There are two notable events here. Note that the minor second is moved into in contrary motion. The trombone moves up while the tenor sax moves down. Also, the voices cross. The trombone is now above the tenor sax. If I had not done that, the sax would have had to play a repeated E. There are two things wrong with that. One is that it's probably 20% more awkward to play a repeated note on a saxophone. The other is that everyone would be playing a moving line except for the tenor. Another advantage of crossing parts here is that the top note of a dissonance should be marginally louder than the bottom note, and a trombone in this register will be naturally louder than the tenor sax. Duke Ellington wrote loads of dissonances, but he found that if both notes of a major or minor second are played at the same volume, the result was somewhat harsh and unattractive and, okay, I'll admit it, dissonant. But if the bottom note is played a little softer than the upper note, the result is attractive, luscious, and delicious. I want to be mysterious and intriguing, not annoying. Obviously, it's really tedious to notate this, and no one in their right mind goes through their entire score writing softer on every instrument that is a second below another. But experienced players know how to do this, and on certain notes, when they hear that someone is on top of them, no jokes, they will play softer. If you are working with less experienced players, simply tell them this at the beginning of the session. I sometimes go against the principles, because frankly, I can't see any way to avoid it. You have to make a judgment call of what's more important, the principle or the end result. Bar 4 to 5 is a case in point. The octave unison of the last beat of bar 4 moves in similar motion into a rather attractive but unusual, voicing of a major sixth and a major second. I decided that the sound was more important than the rule. Sorry, I, I meant to say principle. 
Note the choice of voicings in perfect, and charming, fourths on the D-sharp minor 11th in bar 6th. Not only does it sound nice, but it is a good choice, as it is quite high for the tenor and trombone, and this voicing keeps them in a comfortable range. Four-part writing. There are four mechanical types of four-part voicing techniques. Close, drop two, drop three, and drop two and four. Here's close position, also known as four-way close. Simply voice down from the lead note using chord tones. If you want a richer sound, and frankly, who doesn't? You can add chord extensions or tensions. Substitute nine for one, 13 for five. The thing about four-way close and drop three is that you get seconds in the top two voices. This is a no-no because it obscures the lead melody, and that is usually a terrible idea. It can still work fine for stab chords and backgrounds where the harmonic and rhythmic considerations override the melodic function. Here's a handy little example of a humble A7 chord demonstrating these voicing techniques. We would call it mechanical voicings for fun and profit. Radio Richard. Share, subscribe, even donate. Harmonizing a melody. Here's a tune I wrote called Coffee in Brazil. When harmonizing a melody using, for instance, mechanical voicing techniques, simply voice down from the lead using the chord of the moment. The very reasonable question asked by students is, what, what do I do with non-chord tones? Here's a very reasonable answer. Dominant approach. Harmonize the note as if it is the dominant of the following chord tone, your destination note. I could have harmonized the third note in bar one, G, as a B-flat sixth chord, but it is nice to avoid repeated notes, so instead I harmonized it as a C7, natural nine, the dominant of the following chord, G7 flat nine. Chromatic approach. If the note moves to the next note chromatically, simply make all the notes move chromatically to your destination note. Five parts and more. Doubling. For five-part writing using mechanical voicings, you can take the mechanical option of simply doubling the lead, either an octave above, add a flute, or below, add a trombone. This is not only easy to do, especially with notation software, copying and pasting the trumpet lead to a tenor sax part and transposing it down the octave with one click, but it is very effective. In fact, you can continue this doubling of parts you've already written for six, seven, and eight part writing. For eight brass, you could copy the above example to the four trombone parts and transpose them down the octave and it would work fine. Or you could copy the second trumpet part to the lead alto and then voice the five saxes below that. Any of this is possible. This is called concerted writing. It's not complex or inventive, but it's meaty, beaty, big and bouncy, and packs a punch like a mule with a horseshoe in his glove. Why is octave unison so effective? Well, in fact, all octave unison is a strong sound because of the harmonic series. I don't often hear people chat about this in classrooms and coffee shops, so I'll do it now. This is the science bit. Here are the overtones that will sound when a fundamental note is played. 
Of course, we hear these sympathetic vibrations very subtly. Dogs probably hear them better. If you hit a low piano note with the pedal down, you will probably hear the sympathetic vibrations of the octave and the fifth, maybe the major third, if you have canine DNA. But science tells us that all the other overtones are there. For a fundamental, the lowest note of C1, the first 20 harmonics are shown here. This is the overtone series or harmonic series of C. So we see that the bottom note, C, causes overtones, and overtones 2, 4, 8, and 16 are all C. And that's why C is called the fundamental. So let's say the tenor sax plays C3 and the trumpet plays C4. The tenor is also sounding a C4 overtone, which is a unison doubling of the trumpet C4. So you're hearing three Cs, not two, and the tenor is also sounding a C5, the second overtone, which is doubling the trumpet's first overtone of C5. So you're hearing five Cs, and that is why octave unison is so strong and resonant and solid. Spread voicings. Spread voicings are designed to give a thick, low-end harmonic warmth. They usually have the root and the bass, and they are built upwards aiming for the richest sound. They are often used for sustained backgrounds, pads, and inactive accompaniment. They're non-mechanical, so the writer is aiming for something that will work with the given instruments. Take the time to choose rich voicings and not get in the way of the singer or the harmonica soloist. Here is an example of five-part spreads that would sound lovely as an ending with saxophones or strings. I've used some slightly open-minded harmonic choices with notes drawn from any scale or chord tones I happen to want to use at the moment. I threw in that little obligato at the end because I imagined a flute player warbling over that last chord. I just couldn't help myself. This is why mechanical voicings may be quick and easy, giving you professional results, but I enjoy the challenge of making choices and trying different solutions. When writing spreads, think of what instruments you have and what ranges they will be in to play full-sounding notes that they can control. As you can see above, the spreads have their own inactive melody as the lead. Here's an excerpt from LA7, a tune from my first guitar album, Santa Rita, Plug, Plug. I have deliberately chosen to arrange it with a slightly unusual band, oboe lead with mixed woodwind accompaniment. This sounds downright gorgeous, if I say so myself. In the first example, I've harmonized it one way. In the second example, I added a little chromatic line. I feel this leads the listener's ear towards the next chord change, especially if the next chord is unexpected. After all, this is not obvious diatonic harmony. If an arranger is going to do something unusual, it's good to think of ways to make it easy for the listener. In this case, I used a chromatic melody for them to follow. 
The fact that it's chromatic signals that there is change, that something unexpected may be coming. We all know chords are built in thirds, but they don't have to be voiced that way. There are other notes available to you. That's why they're known as available note voicings. These notes are notes from the chord scale of the moment. On the first chord, the chord scale is an A major scale, and I have used one of the non-chord tones available to me, the B in the voicing. This gives me a little richness dissonance of the major second between C sharp and B. Voicings in fourths. Well, why not choose another interval for building chords? How about fourths? This sound became very popular in modal jazz of the late 1950s and 60s from Miles Davis, Bill Evans, Oliver Nelson, and others. Here's a scale harmonized in voicings in fourths. Note that not all the intervals will work out to be perfect fourths. Some might be augmented fourths or even thirds. This doesn't affect the general sound and quartal quality of the voicing. Yes, the expression for a fourthish voicing is quartal. Here's a typical use of voicings in force over different chord structures using the chord scale of the moment, noted below the staff. Note that I'm still taking my own advice and notating all articulations, fortepiano crescendos, which sound great with brass, by the way, tempo, use of swing eighth notes, everything the player needs to know to play it perfectly on the first read-through which is important because, in the studio, time is money and money is everything. Here's my tune, Cool and Forthy. You'll notice that I cheated and the second voicing in bar three is not in fourths. It started that way, but I didn't think the resulting voicing sounded very much like G-sharp 7th, so I put the trombone on a C, the third of G-sharp. B-sharp, really, but what's a little enharmonic spelling between friends? The top three voicings are in fourths anyway, so we're still getting the sound. This raises an important point about being an arranger. Technique and theory should never get in the way of your ear. Do remember that all quartal voicings can be in any inversion, and your ear will still hear them as quartal. The human ear can somehow hear that these inversions came from voicings in fourths, just as it hears inversions of chords built in thirds as coming from tertiary chords. No, tertiary is a real expression. I looked it up. Radio Richard. Like, share, subscribe, even donate. Radio Richard. Be informed. Be amazed. Be inspired. And now, a word about dissonance and consonance. Since we're talking about your ear, about this time you may be asking, are there any notes I ought to avoid? Good question, because the great mystical deities who discuss musical stuff invented the expression, avoid notes, to tell you what to be careful of. They are notes that have the potential to destabilize the chord quality. Here is a very brief list. 
4 on a major or dominant chord, natural 3 on a minor chord, Flat 9 intervals between any two voices can be great on dominant chords, but should be, if not avoided, at least handled with trepidation on any other chords. Or, if you're not arranging a pop tune to be played on a chirpy teen radio station, you may enjoy destabilizing the chord quality and your career. In classical music, they have a concept about intervals, meaning the vertical distance between two notes. They say the thirds and sixths are consonant, fourths and fifths are fine as long as you move in and out of them in contrary motion, and seconds and sevenths are dissonant. I don't like the negative connotations of that word, especially because a lot of the sounds that made me want to be a musician in the first place use seconds and sevenths. I prefer to use the words plain and rich. Or you can think of it as tension and release, or conflict and resolution. The professional knows that there is a time when writing plain sounds is appropriate and effective. Arrangers should also know that being constantly interesting becomes boring. The ear needs a break. There is no drama without conflict. But constant conflict becomes just as tiresome as an endless peaceful ocean. The wise arranger tells a story, creating drama by going from peace to conflict, back to peace. The great composer Michael Gibbs used avoid notes as if they were chocolate on a cake, and they sounded amazing. A great achievement of his music is that it proves that in talented hands there are no wrong notes. I was fortunate to have studied with him because he is a total original. In fact, and think about this, he was so innovative that it cannot be said that he was influential. Other writers have been too scared to copy him. I wouldn't dream of copying him, but I have been inspired by his spirit of adventure. Gibbs thinks in terms of tonal color rather than harmony. Timbre itself is a compositional element. He said he liked finding a new way to do the obvious and an obvious way to do something new. Asked to describe his style, he said it was a band that sounds slightly out of tune playing notes that are considered wrong notes. In my wonderful book, The Invisible Artist, there is a chapter on him, and in the chapter, he tells this little story. I had a large brass band. I did an African-type tune that's very triadic. I was looking for a way to thicken it, like putting corn flour into soup. You don't change the taste, you just thicken it up. I finally found that adding the fourth degree of the scale worked. By having only one French horn play a B-flat on a F major triad, I managed to thicken it up without changing the diatonicness of the basic chord sound. To some ears, this is a wrong note, but I've been doing this for years. Gibbs very specifically gave the B-flat to the French horn, an instrument with a soft timbre. By putting the wrong note in the French horn part, it will automatically allow the right note to dominate from the harder timbre of the trumpets and trombones. This is how an inventive use of orchestration makes magic in the hands of a true artist. When I studied with Gibbs, I was impressed with a man who became a serious and unique composer by indulging the sense of play in his work. His attitude has always charmed me with its omnipresent asking of the question, why not? Do listen to his many albums as a leader, composer, and arranger, and his many fascinating film scores. Look at the music if you can find it, and you can find it in The Invisible Artist. 
you'll hear an innocent child laughing in a wondrous magical garden, his imagination free to roll around in the grass with a pure heart. Clusters. If you can use available notes in a scale, and they're all available, why not use all of them at the same time? Clusters are voicings completely or predominantly made up of major and minor seconds. This is a rich, dense, thick, emotive sound, full of tension and drama. If other intervals are used, it slightly lessens the effect. They are used for backgrounds, rhythmic stabs, and even for melodies. The notes come from the chord scale of the moment. If the lead melodic line of the cluster is important, avoid seconds in the top two voices. They sound great in three, four, or five-part writing. Here's an example from one of my tunes called The Seduction of Art. This uses clusters as backgrounds to a fretless bass solo. Orchestration stuff you should notice. I marked the flutes at mezzo forte because they are softer instruments. I put the trumpet and trombone in cup mutes and marked them at mezzo piano because they are naturally louder. The flutter tongue is a special flute effect I like. It sounds interesting mixed with muted brass. The bass, even though it's the lead here, is still marked at mezzo piano because it's electric and... Well, have you ever had to tell a bass player to turn down? Oh, to all my bass player friends, I'm just kidding. But could you turn down? Slash chords. Also known as triads over bass notes. No, slash chords are not chords played by the ex-lead guitarist of Guns N' Roses, although I'm sure he's played some of them. There are two types of chord symbols written with a slash symbol, known as a slash. Number one, chords in different inversions. C slash E means C with an E, the third, in the bass. Two, triads with bass notes not in the chord. Sometimes the slash is horizontal instead of at an angle. I must say I prefer this because it visually puts the bass note clearly below the upper triad. But I can't find a word processing program that will do this, so welcome to the diagonal slash. Minor, augmented, and diminished triads can be used, but I'm concentrating here on major triads because they are the most commonly used and easiest to hear. Here is a chart of the common slash chords using major triads over bass notes and what they actually mean. These chords, in their major and minor forms, were made very popular in the 1960s and 70s by musicians such as James Taylor and Carole King and Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and even Young. They can also be heard played by the French horns in the intro of Chicago's If You Leave Me Now, arranged by Jimmy Haskell. They can also be heard in the Pete Townsend guitar intro to Substitute. They provide a more open sound and give the composer some nice options for bass lines. The real appeal to the contemporary musician is that they are rich, attractive voicings without sounding exactly like jazz. In fact, jazz musicians such as Pat Metheny and Joe Zawinul and Wayne Shorter use them too. Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind and & Fire, and Incognito use them in their more complex forms. Here's an example of different types of slash chords. See if you can use my handy chart to identify what chord sound is created by each. When you do that, notice that some of it is non-functional, but it still sounds comfortably in the key of F. 
Slash cords are so attractive, you can kind of get away with anything. I certainly have. Upper structure voicings and polychords. You may be thinking, aren't upper structure triads the same thing as triads over bass notes? Well, they are similar, but the difference here is that the triads are being used over an entire chord. The ear is being asked to hear two chords at the same time, and that is why they are so fascinating. Slash chords get their richness from the tension, literally, between the bass note and the triad. But upper structure triads, also known as USTs, get even more richness from the tension between two whole chords. Method. On the bottom, you create a recognizable chord sound. Then, you deftly place a close position triad on top of it in any inversion. You'll notice in the handy chart that every upper structure triad contains one or more tensions related to the lower chord. Tensions are indicated in bold type. If a triad has no tensions, it is all chord tones and it is not heard as an upper structure triad. Once again, I will be concentrating on major triads, although minor, augmented, and diminished can be used. Be brave. Try them. Note that with diminished chords, or dominant chords taking the semitone-whole tone scale, there are four major triads usable as upper structures. Any note a semitone below a chord tone is heard as a tension on a diminished chord. In the four triads built on notes of semitone below each diminished chord tone, the root of each major triad is the only tension. Here's an example using upper structure triads on the chords of a well-known tune you are familiar with. There is an upper structure triad melody played by guitar accompanied by five saxes. I'm assuming this would be played by a bass player holding down the roots, but the upper structures will be clearly heard anyway. In fact, upper structures can be effective with three, four, five, six, or more voices. Go ahead. As I said, be brave. Adventures in Arranging, and this book I'm holding in my hand is Adventures in Arranging. And I hope you're soon holding this book in your own hands and getting your own ideas that will make your compositions, your tracks, your songs better. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.